0: This is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hey, you're John Wright. It is welcome into the program. What's up? Welcome in. It's a Thursday, the pre-Friday celebration. My time frame's all kinds of screwed up after not being physically here yesterday. Under the weather, but hey, as you can tell, we're doing a lot better. Ready to rock and roll for another one. And now it's Thursday. It almost seems like a Friday, but we're not quite there yet. The pre Friday celebration, the greatest day of the entire week. Welcome into the program, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, though. Multiple radio stations, TV stations, live streaming, and podcasting. However, you watch or listen to the program welcome aboard your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day we are back live on the streams as well today now that we're back in the studio here lots to get to the response from the state of the union still ongoing cinema has said that the uh, state of the union has now quote devolved into a junior high softball game (laughs) i mean it makes sense as we said on the program yesterday, the whatever political side is the president at that si- at that time and has the majority, they're the ones that stand up and clap. The other side doesn't stand up and clap. And then you have the hecklers on both sides, which as I mentioned, I'm not a big fan of the heckling. Although, when you just say ridiculous, stupid lies, then you have to be called out on them. You can't just let them go about and just say whatever you want to. So good for them. I enjoyed the State of the Union for that aspect of it. Joe Biden was a bumbling buffoon. He lied. And you didn't know what he was saying half the time either because then he'd get really mad and yell. And yell and get really excited. And then he'd start mumbling again and forget what he was doing. And then he started dialoguing. With the Republicans, which was hilarious as well. So uh, we have some response on that we'll get to in just a minute. Lance Morrow, he is the author of the book The Noise of Typewriters. He's an author. He's an essayist. He's written for Time Magazine. He's He writes for The Wall Street Journal. Uh, he'll be on the program at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about the history of journalism. And is journalism dead? Because obviously a lot of people think it is. And looking at the headlines regarding the State of the Union... It really makes sense. Again, here's the headline from NPR right now. What does Biden's insult, lots of luck in your senior year, actually mean? Oh, yeah. They did an investigative piece on NPR and what that phrase actually means. Oh, yes. Hard-hitting, hard-hitting news, I'm telling you. Marjorie Taylor Greene and the other hecklers that Biden's State of the Union address... That's from the New York Times. Fact-checking Joe Biden's 2023 State of the Union address. I haven't even clicked on that one. That's from PolitiFact. We'll see how accurate these guys actually are. Um, This is on the fly here. Amid continued political polarization and with opinion polls showing an uneasy public, President Joe Biden aimed to deliver a sense of fiscal and social relief during the State of the Union address. Well, that right there just shows me where he's actually on this one. Uh, Here we go. House Senate Republican leaders say they don't support the uh, wealthy paying their fair share. Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security sunsetted. I'm I'm not saying it's the majority. That's the quote they use from Joe Biden. Uh, according to Republicans in the article here, that they say they don't support this, but at least one senator has broadly floated the idea. Senator Rick Scott released the plan in 2022 that stated, "quote All federal legislation sunsets in five years. If a law is worth keeping, Congress can pass it again." I see nothing wrong with that plan. I think that's a a good five-year plan because that really not the fact that it would actually sunset, but that actually forces us to reconsider the way budgets are done. So PolitiFact, surprisingly, not surprisingly, extremely biased. And oh, look at that. Uh, The Republicans are the ones lying. Joe Biden's all wonderful and hunky-dory. The rest of the headlines are insanely stupid. We'll talk about the history of journalism and you can see the lack of journalism going on in the world today. Um, We covered most of the State of the Union. Don't need to cover much of that again. Today, we'll talk with more about that about with Lance. Until then, let's get into what's trending for the day today. What's trending today? Because there were a couple of issues that were mentioned during the State of the Union address that need some conversation, a little bit deeper conversation that are ongoing right now, including the Senate Committees that are investigating the infrastructure plan, the Inflation Reduction Act and all the money going out to the states, especially if you remember in December, all the Southwest Airlines that were disrupted with two, according to Newsmax, two million customers that canceled more than 16,000 flights in December as Senate uh, senators in the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science and Transportation are trying to figure out what the heck's going on now. Why is this important, Andy? Why does this matter? Southwest Airlines said it was a glitch in their system, that they apologized, they rectified the situation, we're back to normal. Andy, why is this a big deal? Is this the false rage of Republicans just looking to try and be angry about something? And I say, no, absolutely not. We need to figure it out. But there's a bigger issue here is because while we passed the infrastructure plan that was to overhaul the entire infrastructure in the United States, while we passed the inflation reduction plan, Act that had a lot of transportation in there as well. And we focused on transportation. Remember, the Biden administration wants to overhaul the entire infrastructure and transportation industries in the United States to centralize them and have better, quote unquote, control to make them more efficient, which, you know, the efficiency of government uh, doesn't come when you actually increase the size of government. So the big question is, if we have already centralized the airline industries, for example and we want to centralize them more, what they want to do is essentially do an overhaul of, say, the healthcare industry like what they did there. Well, you could still have private insurance companies, but you'll have the private, you'll have the public option, will drive the private companies out, will regulate everything the private industry does. So while you have the and I use the air quotes here for our radio listeners, the options in the private industry, you really don't because it's all regulated by the government, controlled by the government, with the government, public option as well for you. That's going to really just have a unison monopoly of an industry and if I remember correctly could be wrong on this I thought monopolies were bad I also thought they were unconstitutional as the constitution specifically says that the one reason for us to regulate interstate commerce between states is to make sure there is no monopoly within an industry but the government is that monopoly and we have to remind them of that so while we investigate on what happened with Southwest Airlines they openly said we're sorry we made a mistake We didn't upgrade some of our systems. They crashed, and it caused this issue. We want to make sure it never happens again. But why did it happen in the first place when they've received so much money, not just from the massive bailouts that we saw during the Bush administration? Remember that when all the airlines were like, oh, we're going to shut down unless we actually get this money, and we can't shut down because people need these flights. And we gave them all this money, all these major bailouts, and then they still laid off massive amounts of people. They pocketed some for some of the corporate owners. They sold some of their shares or bought shares of the company's back. And then we see where we're at today, where they didn't invest in the actual businesses during that time. At the same time that we're centralizing more transportation industries with the transportation department and Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who has, by the way, some very big political aspirations. Pete Buttigieg was supposed to be the next uh, 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 golden child of the Democrat Party. He was supposed to be the presidential nominee. He was the gay guy. He was the crazy socialist. He was all about the universal be- uh, uh, universal income. He was all about the spreading the wealth and redistribution. He was the golden child that checked all the lists and the boxes for the Democrat Party. And when he lost, it was a bit of a shock to the Democrat Party. So they had to put him in a position that he knew nothing about. I mean, how do you become a mayor of a town in Illinois to the head of the Department of Transportation, pass a major transportation uh, transportation rehabilitation program, again, using air quotes, have him manage all this, and then all of a sudden, what have we seen over the last few months? And really the last year. We've seen no uh, no upgrades in our infrastructure when it comes to bridges or railroads or highways. We haven't seen that. It's been a disaster getting the money out to the individual states. Go ahead and ask your state departments. Ask your Department of Transportation, your C-dots and your K-dots and your I-dots and whatever else dots there are out there in every individual state that you have. Ask them how that money's coming and how well that program's actually been working for them when they haven't received the money. And then it's tied with what they're actually allowed to spend that money on. It's been a disaster, all headed, headed up by Pete Buttigieg. Then we had Southwest Airlines where they had their crash that affected two uh, 2 million customers and 16,000 flights for the month of December. Then we just had around the holiday time, too, or just post-holiday, was it? Was it uh, there or was it beginning of January? Where we actually had the hacking of certain FAA, FAA systems to where they had to land a lot of flights as well because they weren't sure what was going on and who was flying where and what was going on because they lost all their information. A blackout from the FAA all under the head of the Department of Transportation, that would be Pete Buttigieg. So yeah, there is a concern because while we're pushing for a centralizing of power in every industry, which is the solution that Joe Biden had for everything for the State of the Union, oh, let's finish the job, let's do the job, let's finish the job. Centralization, redistribution of wealth, taxing the rich, giving out more money, helping you on this, subsidizing that. And as we used the metaphor yesterday of You try to buy a hat. The hat's too expensive. You can either not buy it and force the company to lower the price or shut their doors. Or you go to the government and ask for a subsidy so they can send you a check to afford it because it's not out of your pocket. It is by default by your taxpayer money, but it's not out of your pocket at the time, so therefore you're still getting it. What direction are we going to go in this nation? Are we going to go to continued subsidizing everything with our taxpayer money, which is the direction that we've gone so far, or... Are we going to start getting rid of government out of industry and letting the market, the free market laissez-faire system, correct itself the way it's supposed to be? This is the crossroads that we're at right now, and this is the direction Joe Biden has said he wants to go. This is the way the Democrats have been going for a very long time. If you remember seeing during the State of the Union, you saw Bernie Sanders all hunkered over in his seat with his mask on. Nobody else was wearing a mask in there, but he was wearing his mask. Couldn't see it because he was steaming up his own glasses, breathing on his stupid mask while he was sitting there nodding at everything Joe Biden was saying because Joe Biden is no moderate. He's no guy for the working class. He's no guy for the average Joe Schmo person. Oh, no, he's for the elites and for the uh, the government officials and for the uh, whatever you want to call them, the, uh, the, the government swamp in Washington, D.C. And you can see that with the policies that he said. Well, let's just get the job done. Get the job done. The authoritarians have taken over in the Democrat Party, and yet we have a new book out from a Republican calling the Republicans the authoritarians. Can you believe that? I know. As we see the centralization of power with healthcare, with higher education, with the transportation, with the green new energy that we see trying to overhaul the entire electric grid. While we see all these industries being centralized at the federal government level with the control they have, we have the audacity of a Republican to say the Republicans are the authoritarians. Can you believe it? And can you guess who it is? Can you guess who it is? According to The Guardian, Mitt Romney's new book calls Republicans... The authoritarian sliding towards authoritarianism. Now, I don't know if you remember what the definition of authoritarianism actually is, which we'll do in a second after the break. But in the new biography, according to TheGuardian.com, the Utah senator and former U.S. presidential nominee Mitt Romney reportedly considers the Republican Party's, quote, slide towards authoritarianism and how he may have helped empower extremists. Oh, my. Now, this is the guy that claims to be conservative. I'll never forget it because I tried to support him in the very first presidential run back in 2008 uh, because I didn't want John McCain. Unfortunately, we still got John McCain because of someone called Mike Huckabee who didn't like Mitt Romney and refused to step aside and split the conservative vote. But I digress. I remember during a debate while he was running for president saying how he was the next Ronald Reagan. He was the next conservative. He was the limited government, anti-regulatory... Lowering taxes, smaller government type Republican. And while we move that direction still, he's calling us the authoritarians. Quite ironic, isn't it? We'll talk about that when we come back here right around the corner. It's the pre Friday celebration. We have a heck of a lot to address today on the program. Stay right here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
1: Fighting for freedom
0: every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Looking back into the program. I want to remind you for those that may be like, I actually like Mitt Romney. He's a nice guy. He's a wonderful dude. You know, he's, he's had some interesting sides. He's kind of flip-flop on some things, but he's evolved in his political career. I understand that. And as I mentioned, back in 2008, I was a supporter of Mitt Romney. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Back in the presidential race, I wanted Mitt Romney. I was not a fan of Mike Huckabee. He's okay. But not the biggest fan of Mike Huckabee, personally. Uh, John McCain was my absolute bottom, and he unfortunately squeezed in because the conservatives were split between Mitt Romney and Mike Huckabee. Mike Huckabee had less polling numbers and probably should have dropped out way earlier, but he did not like Mitt Romney for his religious views, which is unfortunate. Because we're all on the same team here trying to fight for the conservative agenda or at least Republican agenda in some way, shape, or form. Romney was one of the first ones to oppose Donald Trump in the presidential run and did not like Donald Trump being a populist, which I can agree with. I'm not the biggest fan of populism either. And we can have that discussion at a a later time. We just don't have the time to do it right now. But I'm not a fan of populism. I'm a fan of constitutional conservatism. I think populism and the popularity movement just to do something because it's popular is a very dangerous direction to go and i don't like that either luckily donald trump was a conservative populist who was popular with conservative values so it kind of worked out on our end but the idea of populism i'm just not a big fan of and romney opposed him at first but then if you remember whether it's for maybe the vp seat or whether it was for secretary of state or whatever position that he was aiming for, he tried to really cozy up with Trump for a while. Trump shunned him, did not bring him on. And then, of course, Mitt Romney went after him big time and uh, was one of those that supported the impeachment process, that supported the sabotage Trump at all costs while Trump was in office because he had a personal vendetta against him for not moving up the political ladder under the Trump administration and during that time in power. So, with that being said, now he writes a book saying that he thinks the Republicans are sliding into authoritarianism. They're not my party. They didn't hold me up to be the leader. Therefore, they're moving in the wrong direction. Now, again, this may be a little bit uh, uh, elementary, but nonetheless, here's the definition for you just to remember, other side of the aisle, what authoritarianism actually is. And this is the Google one. This is not the actual Oxford Dictionary that you can find at home where they've changed the definitions of a lot of things, but we'll use this for now. The enforcement of advocacy of strict obedience to authority at the expense of personal freedom. Also, the lack of concern for wishes or opinions of others. Now, the lack of concern for the wishes or opinions of others. Who does that sound like in this woke society that we have today called the Democrat Party? Doesn't matter what your opinions are. If they're different than mine, then you're a bigot, you're a racist. You're a closed-minded fool, yada, yada, yada. Republicans, I I guess we can say that we do the same to a degree. I guess that both sides in a partisan world, we both do of that. But how in the world does the idea of the true, I'm talking about true conservative values here. Not a certain party, not a certain person, not a certain uh, perspective of how some try to take it. The true values of what conservatism really is. How in the world is that authoritarian in any way, shape, or form? And the party that is in uh, the Republican Party right now that's promoting conservatism, of getting rid of government programs, of trying to investigate the Biden family and the corruption there, of trying to expose the corruption with the MAGA movement that's the outsiders from Washington, D.C., wanting to expose D.C., the what the media and the Democrats are calling the extremist Republicans or the MAGA Republicans, or God forbid what they even call the domestic terrorists in this nation, how in the world does that account to quote unquote authoritarianism from Mitt Romney? See, this is the danger when a moderate, wishy washy Washington, D.C. ite starts losing the ability of control and the influence that he had in his party at one time and they realize they no longer have the influence they used to because they're irrelevant because their ideas are old they're unpopular and no one likes them anymore this is what happens the rabid dog backed into the corner where they want to viciously attack you because you're not going along with the same old same old from politics of 20 years ago and that stuff's over the voice of reason with andy hoosier reason meets radio this is the voice of reason with andy Hoosier. So i'm still trying to clear out my twitter account because my twitter feed since yesterday or two days two i guess two nights ago now with the state of the union address nothing but just marjorie taylor green and lauren Boebert. that's all i saw so i saw the entire night and then most of the day yesterday i'm finally starting to see some other stuff Bleed in there little by little But holy cow man They were on a rant Going on Tuesday night Welcome into the program Hey thanks for hanging out today Multiple radio stations All over the place Trying to cram that Ten pounds of reason Into that five pound bag Trying to rebrand The millennial generation One radio listener Anytime We'll get back to Mitt Romney's book here In just a little bit The authoritarianism Of the Republican Party I find quite fascinating Uh, By the way, that's the guy that voted for the omnibus package as well in, in December. So there is that. I want to shift gears a little bit here and let's do some of the coverage of how these things are being covered as we get into our what's trending of the day. What's trending today? And the big question is, is journalism dead? is journalism there or is it just in a new fashion is it in in a new version is it in a new outlet uh is it transitioning with the times and how do we find true journalism of today really excited to have this guy on the program he's an american essayist and author he's written for the wall street journal also time magazine he's also the henry grunwald senior fellow at the ethics and public policy center in washington dc and his latest book the Noise of Typewriters Remembering Journalism. Excited to have on the program with us here Lance Morrow. Lance, how are you, my friend?
1: Good, good. Good to be here. Yeah, good I'm, to be here.
0: yeah I'm excited to have you on. That's the big $1,000 question. Is journalism dead today?
1: No, no, it's not dead. It, it's, uh, But it's taken some bad hits, and, and uh, it certainly is in in sort of a shambles in many respects. There is still plenty of really terrific journalists around, but there, there is... Uh, I, this book is about uh, <clears throat> about the 20th journalism in the 20th century. It's often said that uh, the biggest casualty of the 1960s was authority of uh, parents, presidents, police, military, everything. Well, somehow that's bounced down the road into the 21st century, and... There's a weird absence of responsible authority in the editorial uh, leadership of a lot of the media. Uh, New York Times, for example, and uh, some really lousy, awful decisions being made. And uh, and the the report we've all seen the reporters are uh, editorializing too much, and, and then going in for. Um, uh, you know, uh, just a, a kind of almost red guard kind of uh, consensus, uh, you know, party line journalism. So that that is very bad. Um, but I don't think journalism is dead, but it's it's in danger. I mean, it's 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 really there are a lot of very bad things going on i
0: think yeah that is very true the sensationalism of the mainstream media today mm-hmm. and as we talk about both radio and tv of cbs nbc uh, msnbc all these other mm-hmm. outlets that are out there right now uh it seems like the sensationalism of we need to break the news first before we actually figure out what's really going on and it happens with uh an attack or maybe a school shooting or something they just start making assumptions with the talking heads and like you said as opposed to actually Doing the journalism and the investigation to figure out what's going on to give you true fact. Um, I, I, how do we come back from something like that, or can we? And do you think that they're starting to be aware of the fact that maybe we shouldn't say something about it until we know what's really going on?
1: Well, there's there's that acceleration in uh, the. I think that the technology has made this a, a much bigger problem in the 21st century. The speed of the technology, the social media. The speed of Twitter and so on, so that uh, we're talking about uh, nanoseconds. Uh, we're talking about people posting things before they've checked them out, and uh, it, that the pressure, the pressure to to uh, file or to post uh, stories and so-called facts uh, first. There's always been deadline pressure, but now it's compressed. It's uh, it, it's accelerated because of the technology. The I got it, the technology uh, that what we saw coming in um, the late '80s through the '90s and, and on since then. Technology has vastly altered the nature of journalism. Uh, that that is the uh, the way that journalism is done and it's altered many 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 things in the, in the in the culture and the society but uh, uh it it has had a huge effect on journalism and uh and some of it some of it has been very positive it has enabled uh a uh, gathering in speed of information gathering information but at the same time it has enabled a tremendous amount of inaccuracy and and uh and also, uh, uh, simply um, uh, blowing off opinions, firing off opinions uh, before they've uh, uh, before they yeah. checked out. I, I, I'm sometimes appalled by what supposedly reputable people will bang onto Twitter uh, before they have any facts at all. <laughs> they'll just bang. They'll bang it right on there, and and uh, it's really strange. It's, it's, it's not good.
0: No, and they're they're all of a sudden the expert, because if you try and contradict them or actually explain something to them on the Twitter, you have a finite amount of characters that you can do it, and then they just say that you're mansplaining or they go after you for just lying or whatever because they all of a sudden are now the experts on a certain issue by what they put on there. We're talking well,
1: about, that's yeah, that's that's another thing. I mean, the, the what you might call the democratization of information. You know, everybody in the world has got one of those has got a screen in the palm of their hand and uh so everybody is entitled to opinion what well, I mean they they say everybody is entitled to their opinion I don't think they are i think you, you've got to earn your opinion you've got to find out you've got to have some basis for your opinion and uh, yeah. uh the but there's no there's no doubt that uh smartphones and so on have have uh, uh, accelerated this problem of just uh, an inundation of information, some of it good, some of it uh, completely inaccurate.
0: Yeah, that is very true. I remember learning about and reading about all the way back when, when I was in school, which I guess wasn't too terribly long ago. But at the same time, I remember learning about the yellow journalism of the way things were back in the early 1900s and how it was bad. You can't exaggerate to try and compare one thing that's not comparable to another or the sensationalism of a certain issue. We have a lot of that now, not just in media or in the uh, the TV or the newspaper or even radio or anywhere else. We have yellow journalism all over the place because now we have, you know, one side calling another side a racist if they just disagree with them. They call them Nazis. We have just words being thrown out left and right. And it almost seems like we've been desensitized to the importance of what those words actually mean. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very there's an awful lot of irresponsible um, noise being um, thrown around and it it really does have to do with the fact that that on social media you can uh, <clears throat> you have millions and millions of screens and uh, people people are firing off opinions and either anonymously or or not um, so it's a it's a it's a terrific problem and i mean you're you're mentioning uh, it's a it's a big problem in the society as a whole. It's hard to get at it. It's not just journalism. It's so many, so many. I mean, identity politics and and uh, yeah. a kind of breaking a fragmentation into uh, tribes, tribes of identity, and, and, it's like groupthink uh, and of that groupthink yeah. mentality. Yeah, yeah, groupthink and. And and there's a certain, almost, people people, uh, should uh, look back at the uh, Red Guard, the cultural revolution in China, and and think about the behavior of of, uh, Mao Zedong's uh, Red Guards. Uh, There's a lot of that Red Guard behavior in the politics today, which is to say, you know, a party line, and, and the woke the wokeism yeah. is is especially guilty of it, I think. But um, it, 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 the whole business of cancel cancel politics and uh, that kind of coercive uh, party line uh, way of doing things, which is spread from the universities into the, the foundations, the corporations, the practically every institution in the society, and it's a uh, I think it's a very, very serious problem. And it's, just, it's a very serious <clears throat> problem in uh, mainstream media.
0: Yeah, oh, very much so. we got just about a minute or so left here as we talk with uh, Lance Morrow, author of the book The Noise of Typewriters, Remembering Journalism. In the last 45 seconds or so here, I want to show some optimism, some encouragement. Where can we find true journalism? Do you think it's going to be some of the new platforms or maybe podcasts online or obscure different news sites? Or is it going to come back, do you think?
1: Well, I think <clears throat> I think the podcasts and, and uh, Substack and places like that, the, the platforms of that kind, uh, are extremely encouraging. And I think that you, it's going to be a process. It's going to be messy. Uh, it's possible that there will be a um, a, uh, a change in the mainstream media, and that they will uh, revert to more. Responsible behavior. I'm, I'm hoping that that's true, but it's also uh, fairly certain that new new organs of, of information are are being developed and will be developed and will compete uh, for for uh, attention. And uh, so, I, I think that journalism is not dead, but it's going to be a, a messy battle to. Uh, it's, and in, in this
0: environment, it's tough. It, it's transforming. It is. And it needs to be. And I think the new outlets are going to give some of that opportunity for it to rise again. Lance, we're out of time, my friend. I appreciate it very much. The book is The Noise of Typewriters Remembering Journalism. Lance, we appreciate it. you got to take a break here. This is The Voice of Reason on a Thursday. Stay right here. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes of the show. Thanks again to Lance Morrow coming on the program. Interesting information. Journalism is it dead. He says no. I say I agree with him, but it's harder to find. Look, we're in an age of information. We are the information wave, baby. There are so many platforms between TV and TV. Cable TV, over-the-air TV, radio, satellite radio, podcasting, journalism, uh, the news writing, articles, newspaper, online blogs. There's so much out there that you can find really anything that you want to find. You can find the political flavor that you want. You can find the news that you want. You could find the opinion non-opinionated. It's more difficult to find the non-opinionated, but it's still out there. But here's the big question. Here's, I guess, the psychological question for you is that if you don't trust the mainstream media, because even when they try to say we're fair and balanced or when we're down the middle of the road or we're just giving you the facts or giving you the news, I mean, do you still trust them, especially in the mainstream media? Because right now
1: you are fake news.
0: It, it kind of doesn't work out very well. Because they are fake news and many times they're just making things up on the fly. They're the yellow journalism, the exaggeration of things the sensationalism of things that's what they did literally for donald trump for four years was the exaggeration donald trump is a nazi because donald trump is a fascist because when he did nothing of the sort in any way shape or form that could even ever amount or uh, define that in any at all they couldn't define it but yet my golly he was a racist he was a bigot he was a close-minded yeah a little little, little, bit whatever And now we have yellow journalism even in the books that are written from biographies of people like Mitt Romney calling authoritarianism as well. There is good journalism out there. You just have to find it. And I'm optimistic about it because, as myself, I'm not a journalist. I openly say I'm not a journalist. I am a political talk radio commentator. I give my opinion on issues based on the stories that I find, and I call out the shenanigans based on what they call journalism, and then I look at the opinionated journalism, and I poke fun at that, too, because they're usually pretty stupid. But that's what we do on this program. I don't say that I'm a journalist giving you facts and information. I try to give you some facts based on my knowledge. I try to give you facts based on what we do and what we read from the mainstream media to correct their mistakes, but I don't say here's the, you know, reporting the news. Here's the information. We break down the facts, we break down the arguments to make you think a little bit. Not to tell you what to think, but how to think. Oh, see, that's what we try to do here. Level it up, baby. (laughs) For example, here's a perfect uh, example for it. Joe Manchin, the Democrat, as you know, was a somewhat moderate Democrat. At least that's what he tells himself. While he votes for Democrats for the most part, votes with the Democrat platform for the most part, did hold up some of Biden's agenda for a while, so he became enemy number one for the Democrats. He ended up voting for a lot of things, including the infrastructure plan, including the omnibus package, including The Inflation Reduction Act, which the Inflation Reduction Act, as you know, did nothing to actually lower inflation. It did nothing to lower the debt or deficit either. What it did do, however, was to spend massive amounts of money on green new policies to rid ourselves of oil and natural gas and coal and to focus largely on the alternative energies of wind and solar and whatever else that they're going to do to somehow power the electric electric grid at their re-overhauling that's going to, to be able to power all the businesses and all the homes and all the electric vehicles and everything else are trying to go in the realm of the electric side. But yet we don't like what's powering the electric grid, if that makes any sense. It doesn't because we're not a Democrat. Well, now apparently he's quite angry with the Democrats on how they're implementing the Inflation Reduction Act because he's angry about it. Well, you know what? We could have told you what they were trying to do is according to Fox News right now, he's furious with the Biden White House on this is. Blankety blank because of the implementation of the new laws where they're pushing so hard on the green new energy and getting rid of so much oil production in the nation, getting rid of so much energy production that now we're seeing the high prices that we're seeing. And he's livid, according to Fox News, the quote unquote reportedly livid how the uh, how Joe Biden has begun implementing the Inflation Reduction Act. The major Democrat Party legislation was signed into law after the senator from West Virginia pledged to support it, even though Manchin pledged to support the bill after months of debate. He says that he has been raising hell on Capitol Hill over how the Biden admin is rolling out the plan. During a statement, he said that he would rather have energy securing measures. As he said, the perspective is blankety blank regarding climate change and accused them of seeking to starve Americans out of energy. Yeah, we could have told you that. We did tell you that. We tried to tell you that. That's what it was. It was the Green New Deal on steroids with a brand new name during a time of 9% inflation of let's lower inflation by investing in green new energies. And he's like, oh, okay, it's good. It should work. And now he's mad. Are you going to repeal it? Probably not. You could say angry all you want to, but you reap what you sow, dude. That's all we got to say about that. Podcast up in just a little bit. Back at it tomorrow for a Friday. Lots more to get to. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hooger. We'll see you on the radio.